Welcome to the Sports Garden Network Podcast, your source for sports entertainment, incredible sports wagering intelligence. Welcome, sports fans. This is Wagering Week. I'm Tom Barn. That's right. We are Wagering Week. Facebook and Twitter, that's how you get in touch with us. 855, the number 4, G-A-R-T-E-N, iTunes, iHeartRadio, any of our fine syndicated affiliates. That is how you can get us. Guys, I got to tell you, here we go, right? We're sitting here going into week 15. Lots of injuries to talk about, especially at the quarterback front. Lots of separation. And I got to tell you that last week, we saw quite a bit of frauds out there. I mean, we're, we're looking at a situation here where, you know, you start to question teams. You have to start to question what teams are what. We're starting to question, you know, is this team for real? Are you know, a team like the Arizona Cardinals, are they for real? Are some of these teams teams that we should rely upon? This week, we have a Thursday game. We have two Saturday games. So Saturday games are back, and there's some big-time games. A couple of points to last week. You know, it was a massive week for the public, a massive week for overs and a massive week for favorites. This could be considered one of the worst weeks on recent memory for the sports books. And we talked early in the season, um, the first four weeks or so, sports books got off to a real rough start in the beginning of the year this year. Then it kind of settled down like we all thought it would eventually come back back down to the middle. And now this week was just devastating. NFL favorites went 11-2 and against the spread. Overs went 10-2 and two or 9-3-1, and one, depending on what spread you got, which is absolutely nuts. This is the kind of spot that we're in, guys, where you start to look at things and you start to look at them with, with a different kind of eye, right? You start to look at, it, at this and you say, yeah, this is an interesting scenario when all is said and done. The idea that we're sitting back and we're saying, okay, the, the books got crushed. And now I look and I'm seeing some interesting lines pop up. And I wonder if that's a product of the books getting crushed last week. I wonder how many people are going to kind of go, all right, you know what? And remember, most people that are listening to this show are a little bit um, more elevated as a sports better. But I wonder how many people are going to look at this and they're going to say, I won last week with this formula. I'm going to do it again. I won last week doing this. I'm going to do it again. Because I got to tell you, I don't think that that is any way, shape, or form a, a recipe for success here. Because we haven't seen that in a while. We haven't we haven't witnessed this kind of just overs and favorites in a long time. So I, I expect it to go the other way. I expect it to be lots of underdogs, lots of unders. Usually, and for those that are, are new to this um, or relatively new... The public loves favorites. The public loves home favorites. The public loves overs. And the public loves primetime overs. Okay? Those are the big things that the public likes. The public is just enamored with whatever the hot conversation is. Whatever the hot team that's going to be on all the morning talk shows, that's going to be in their newspaper. I know nobody gets newspapers anymore. Uh, But whatever that team is, that's who the public is enamored with. And if that team, whoever they may be, If they're playing at home, well, whoa, wait a minute. I mean, now all of a sudden the public is going to be doubly on them. And you also see that, first of all, the public likes overs, and that's why the NFL has changed all their rules, not to give over betters uh, money, but because everybody likes scoring. So they want to see scoring. 
I'm somebody that likes defense and running the game. But, okay, everybody likes scoring. We get that. Now, on prime time, you have a lot of novice betters. You have a lot of betters in prime time that are just going, you know what, going to the bar, I'm going out there. Uh, you know, by the way, if you want me to say your bar name, or, you know, call us for sponsorship. You know, I'm going to whatever sports bar out there. I'm going to whatever I'm going to. I throw a couple of them. I throw 50 bucks on a high-scoring game. I want to see some scoring tonight. There's not a lot of people that are going to say, hey, you know what, Dad, just for fun, I'm going to watch the game I want to see a 6-3 game. I'm going with the under. Not a lot of people going out there and doing that. And there's so many more people out there that are throwing fun money at sports betting than there are people that are actually doing research and taking this serious. So you have to understand what drives this. Well, you go back and you go, well, the Sunday night game, all what was that? Yeah, that was an over game, right? I mean, that was a huge over game. That was the game that I gave you guys last week. And I said, you know, that's my best bet on my want to bet show uh, Sunday morning. I said, my best bet. I said, I don't, I don't know if it will happen, but Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay might score 42 themselves. And the over-under fell from 44.5 down to 42 by the time kickoff came. That went, went over without a problem. It's a prime time over. You usually don't get those prime time overs, right? So pay attention here because we have a Thursday night game, a Monday night game, of course, and then we have two Saturday games. Now, they're not exactly prime time regular NFL games, but I tend to think people sitting around on a Saturday, people sitting around going, you know what, got my Christmas shopping done, I'm going to watch the game, probably are going to move this to the over. And you have to take that into account when you're handicapping. Maybe that point, point and a half, maybe two points swing. Who are they going to like? They're going to like the home teams. They're going to like the favorites. And they're going to like the overs. I mean, that's just the nature of of what the public is. So when you're talking about home team's favorites and overs, pay attention to that this weekend. Pay attention to that on Thursday and Saturday. And then, of course, Monday night. Going to be Minnesota and Chicago on Monday night. I've already seen that line start to fall backwards. I've already seen that line start to go down. So it's something to pay attention to. All right, let's talk about it. Uh, Thursday night game, Chiefs and Chargers. And we have a good one here. I mean, this is this is a, a, just an absolutely great game to have on a Thursday night, the highlight game. And it's a great game because both teams are streaking in the right direction. The Chargers had alternated wins and losses for about two months, right? Uh, six games, so that's about two months. They went win-loss, win-loss, win-loss. Now they've, they've gotten two wins in a row. The Chargers are back streaking. And the reality is, is if the Chargers want a shot at the division, they have to win this game. You lose this game, I, I think Kansas City just seals up the division. Now, Kansas City on the other side, they've been playing fantastic. Everyone's back on this bandwagon. I've heard Patrick Mahomes, who, by the way, was not listed last time we did What Are the Odds, was not listed among the MVP finalists in the last uh, in the top 10. Now I'm hearing people going, yeah, you know what? Uh, Patrick Mahomes, yeah, he, he, he might win the MVP. I think that's a little far stretched because this is now a defensive team. But you do start to see people, power rankings out there, every talk show out there, everyone is heaping the uh, just praise on the Kansas City Chiefs. And they're telling me that the offense is fixed, the defense is fantastic, and they absolutely should be the number one team in the NFL. I'm not sure I quite believe that. I'm not sure I would go down that path, but let's see. I know that the public believes it because Kansas City is a three-and-a-half or a four-point favorite on the road in Los Angeles against a Chargers team that already beat them. Chargers won 30-24 already, okay? So... They went into Kansas City. They went into Arrowhead. I know it was a different defense, but 
they wound up winning 30-24. to 24. And you can talk about the idea that it was a different defense because, look, this is – it certainly was a different defense, and we'll get into that in a moment. But you also have to go, wait a minute, they held them to only 24 points. And this Chargers defense, which has been maddeningly inconsistent this year, you know they could get a pass rush with Bosa, you know Derwin James is good, but outside of that they've had some ups and downs. But the Chargers held Kansas City to only 24 points. If they do that again, I think they get a win here. All right? Even in in what could be a lower-scoring game, speaking of unders. Herbert, Mahomes, this is going to be billed as just amazing. And and you look at Justin Herbert, which is pretty funny because – Um, He was supposed to be benched by Tyrod Taylor last year, right? Or because of Tyrod Taylor. Tyrod has the thing where the doctor stabs him uh, in in the wrong place, which is one of the wildest stories in the NFL still. So he eventually gets the start. He bursts onto the scene. He's amazing. And then late in the season, fizzles out a little bit, but wins rookie of the year. And everyone's going, man, this kid's going to be a player. And Patrick Mahomes, you know, MVP level. And then at the end of the year, the Super Bowl started kind of fizzling out a little. Now you go into this year, Justin Herbert comes out of the gates and all of a sudden people are literally having conversations, literally are sitting back and having discussions. Is Justin Herbert better than Patrick Mahomes? Is Justin Herbert the real future of this league? Is Justin Herbert the guy? I mean, they really are having these conversations. Meanwhile, Patrick Mahomes is just struggling all over the place. Now Herbert struggles a little bit. He's not getting off the blitz as much as he used to. And all of a sudden, Patrick Mahomes looks good again. And it's going to be billed as two top five passes, which they are, in terms of yardage, which they are. And this is what we have. What I do find interesting, though, is that Patrick Mahomes' splits against non-Raiders teams. Look, he destroys the Raiders. He threw a 406 against them a couple weeks ago. Had five touchdowns. He had a huge game against. Outside of that, Patrick Mahomes still looks a little bit weaker than what he is. And Justin Herbert... There are certain defenses that just give him absolute nightmares. So let's talk about this Chiefs defense, right? Um, They've allowed 17 points or less during their six-game winning streak. So that's six straight games, guys, where the Chiefs' D has allowed 17 points or less. That's a long streak. That's a month and a half since they have allowed more than 17 points. This is a new Chiefs team. Because, look, through the first seven games, this defense was giving up just about 30 points per game. 30! 30 guys, right? And now all of a sudden it's down during the six game winning streak. It's down to about 11 points per game. Like I said, 17 or less in every game, but it's down to 11 points per per game. They've actually only allowed more than 20 points once since week six. So no one seems to be getting to 17. No one is really getting to 20 at all. Um, and, And that's kind of where they're living. The Chargers, by the way, they entered the week as the only team to average 26 points per game scoring, and 26 points per game allowed. So you start to look at this offense and you go, okay, we know that they could score. 26 points per game is very nice. They did put up 30 on uh, the Chiefs the first time that they saw them. But the Chiefs' argument here is going to be, well, we're a completely different defense, right? We're not that same team. We are not. Look, Kansas City went through a stretch where sports betters out there were banking on going anti-Kansas City, including the playoffs and the Super Bowl, including uh, everything that went back last year, right back to the middle of last year, the Chiefs had covered uh, like two games. I mean, it was absolutely ridiculous. And we kept going back to the well. All of a sudden now, it's a new Kansas City team. Kansas City's 4-0 against the spread over the last four games. So you start to look at Kansas City and say, 
I, I do believe this. I do believe that this is a new team, a different kind of defense, a different kind of attack. But the Chargers are one of the best offenses that they'll see. Look, facing the Raiders doesn't really get me excited, especially without Darren Waller and a team that cannot run. But you do have some worries here with the Chargers. I will keep all the praise I, I could possibly come up with on Justin Herbert. Fantastic. I love the fact that he could run. He could run out of the pocket. What he did on the Steelers on that, that Monday night game was unbelievable. And you look at Justin Herbert, obviously his throwing ability. He's got one of the smoothest throwing styles out there. Justin Herbert is as good as advertised. Keenan Allen is as good as advertised. Mike Williams is that secondary guy. They have all the components. Austin Eckler, fantastic runner. I like him even better out of the backfield. Now, Eckler's a little bit banged up, but I'm hearing that he should be fine. But one of the problems that you start to get into is the people that really make this team click. And what really makes this team click is the interior line. And their rookie Slater, you can really sit back and say, this is a dominating rookie lineman. He's going to be out. He's going to be out this game. Now, he's not the name of a Keenan Allen. He's not the name of an Austin Eckler. Certainly not Justin Herbert. But losing your tackle in a spot like this and someone that is this good against this kind of defense is a massive worry for me. I often talk about offensive linemen. And I often talk about the loss of offensive linemen here because nobody else will, right? It's not flashy. It's not a fantasy conversation. He's not going to score you points. He's not going to be your favorite player. There's not a lot of guys wearing his jersey in, in Los Angeles, right? But he is kind of what makes things tick. Look, think back last week to the Bears game, right? And the 40-year-old tackle goes out. Uh, got the sure, sure as anything, sure as my name is Tom Barton, right? Uh, you know that the Hall of Fame is going to be calling. He goes down. They put in Tevin Jenkins, who is their first-year starter, has never started because he's been playing on special teams because of injuries and whatnot. He comes in, and he was just abused for the rest of the game. And the game changed on a dime when he left. Now, it wasn't all his fault, no. But all of a sudden, Green Bay started to see blood in the water. Green Bay started to come after it a little bit more ferociously. Green Bay started to really say, you know what, we'll take a chance here because we think we can get by him. You know, the offensive line that has to switch their blocking schemes and they have to dumb it down, uh, quote unquote. They also have to give a little double coverage. Okay, look, you know what, we'll keep a running back in the backfield to chip him so you be the double protector. So now instead of having another man out in the flats and another man and another you know advantage where you could dump it off, you now have to keep somebody back in to chip the guy. And this all happened during the game because of this. Now, do I think the Slater loss here is going to impact the Chargers where, uh, you know what, they're going to have to make major wholesale changes? No. But those major wholesale changes may come during the game. If you start to see Slater's backup giving up big-time pressure, big-time sacks, they start abusing him. They start doing stunts and things of that nature to come after him and really get pressure on Herbert, who I mentioned at the top of this has struggled this year against the Blitz. If that starts to happen, guys, then they come out of their game plan. Then Austin Eckler isn't exactly utilized in the way that he needs to be utilized. He needs to be catching the ball out of the backfield, not staying home and chipping linebackers, not staying home and chipping defensive ends or staying back and being the blindside double protector on Justin Herbert. So that takes them out of their game plan. It changes the game. This is why I worry 
about the Chargers. Okay, with that being said, the Chargers are at home. And I know that there's no home field advantage. There'll probably be more Chiefs fans, and we can laugh it off and say that Los Angeles is a terrible sports town, and yeah, it is. Okay, sorry, LA, it's just reality. Um, We can say all of that, how they don't appreciate the Chargers and everything else, but it still is at home. It still is on their time clock. It is a short week. I've told you guys time and time again, coming into a short week, I've spoken to coaches and I've spoken to players, and they all say the team that's playing the best the week before has the advantage because you're not going to switch your playbook up. Now, last week, the Chiefs were great. I can't take anything away from them. But the Chargers played a Giants team that I mentioned when we had the conversation last week about that Chargers-Giants game. I said, look, the Chargers are at home. They're not going to have to travel for that short week. They're playing a beat-up, weak Giants team. They should absolutely manhandle this team and not give Kansas City any film to watch on how they are going to manhandle it. So I think they dialed the playbook back. I think that once they got out to a big lead, they were able to relax with some guys. They were able to kind of pull the dogs off. It was, I don't want to say an easy game. I don't want to say a week off. But it was a lot less than what the Chiefs had to go go and kind of prepare for with the Raiders. You knew as a Chargers fan, and you knew as a Chargers coach, and you knew as Chargers players, you should get the win against the Giants. So we don't have to empty this all out. We should get the win against the Giants. You should go out there, and you really should beat them up all over the field. Um, And it it means we can kind of pull the playbook back a little. The Raiders are an arch enemy. The Raiders were dancing on or or having a team huddle the middle of the field. That was an emotional game, and Kansas City spanked them. They had no problem with them. And Mahomes didn't finish the game because he didn't need to. Yes, But do you think during the week that they didn't have their full playbook? No, 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 no. They took the Raiders very seriously. It just wound up being a laughingstock, but they took them very seriously going in. And those are two different mindsets. Now, when all is said and done, my feelings on the game is this. I do believe in this Chiefs defense, but I don't fully believe in them. I do believe that the Chiefs defense can shut teams down. I believe that they could shut lesser teams down. This Chargers team is not going to be shut down. I think that the Slater thing worries me, okay? Um, I do believe that when you start to talk about an offensive lineman like that, I think it's devastating. I think it's a massive loss for them. But I do think that the Chargers getting points at home leans a little bit in the favor of, you know what, this is some public value. I find it very interesting that the line has gone up from 49.5 up to 52.5. So it's going up. I don't think I'm going to take the game because I see how good Kansas City is playing. When Kansas City is playing this good, this fast, this explosive, especially on the defensive side, it's very difficult to go bet against them. And it's hard to bet against the Chargers at home catching points. The totals where I would be paying attention to. And I told you guys, I already think public games often go under. I already believe everybody wants to see a huge Mahomes-Herbert shootout. I think it's being billed as that Mahomes-Herbert shootout. Depending on the status of Eckler, I may be going under here. To me, that's the only play. I can't see you know this game being a confident overbet. I can't see you being very confident betting Kansas City, and I cannot see anybody overly confident betting the Chargers. So to me, this could be an underbet if, number one, the line continues to rise, and number two, 
we know the status of Austin Eckler. All right, guys, let's take a quick timeout. Come on back. When we do return, we have two Saturday games to talk about. That's pretty cool. I'm, I'm pretty pumped up for the Saturday games. All that and more right after this right here on Wagering Week. And now back to Wagering Week with Tom Barton. I bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. No way. I'll give you three to one odds. You're on. What are the odds? All right, guys, what are the odds? Well, the Dallas Cowboys, specifically the Dallas Cowboys defense, well, they are turning some heads, and specifically Micah Parsons is turning all kinds of heads. Forget about Defensive Rookie of the Year. We're talking about Defensive Player of the Year for Micah Parsons, who is just seemingly everywhere making a defensive impact that very few have seen. So let's take a look at his Defensive Player of the Year numbers. Well, his odds were right about plus 2,800 uh, right before the game this week. All of a sudden, after that amazing game, he's about 4-1 to one at DraftKings, only behind Miles Garrett and TJ Watt, who are both 3-1. to one. Micah Parsons is making a big-time push to win Defensive Player of the Year, and that is, what are the odds? Yeah, guys, listen, uh, the Dallas Cowboys. Right, I mean, Dallas is a, an interesting team because all of a sudden they've changed completely their culture. They are now a defensive team. <laughs> That's what this team is. They are now a defensive team um, with the potentially the best defensive player in the league. Uh, very intriguing. We'll get into them in a moment. Let's talk about the Saturday games. We'll go in order here. Vegas at the Browns. Look, I cannot talk intelligently about this game because it was found out on Wednesday afternoon that Baker Mayfield tested positive for COVID. And you go, okay, wait a minute. Is he going to be able to be back, right? The Browns were informed that uh, during, they're going to have virtual meetings all week, okay? Not only because of Baker Mayfield, who wasn't found out until Wednesday, but because of so many positives on the team. The NFL had the highest number of player positives uh, when we sit back and talk about it on Monday, since the pandemic started. So the positive COVID is going to wreak havoc on this game. We don't know if Mayfield could get two tests before kickoff. We don't know how many players are going to be out. We don't know a lot about this game. Now, I could talk about the Raiders winning in Cleveland last year. The Raiders have five losses in their last six games, and the Raiders look bad, right? The Raiders, they've scored more than 16 points just once over the last six games. That is the game that everybody keeps remembering, which is on Thanksgiving, the highest rating since 1990. Yeah, sure, everyone's going to remember that. But the other games, look, they just can't get their offense going. They cannot run the ball near the bottom of the league, and they've been near the bottom of the league for a while. Vegas is 1-5 against the spread over the last six games. Now, the Browns are 0-4 against the spread over the last four weeks, but the Browns' defense has given up only more than 16 points twice in the last seven games. So, that 16 number starts coming out, and you go, okay, this is probably going to be a low-scoring affair. You think about the Browns kind of busting out last week, but that's only the third time that they've scored more than 20 points in the last 10 games, guys, right? Baker Mayfield might not be in this game. We don't know, but Baker Mayfield, look, he's got the most interceptions in the NFL since entering the league, so he is turnover-prone. He is not the guy that they thought they were going to draft, depending on uh, you know who you ask. He's either a complete bust or just a, an unfulfilling kind of player. I don't think you could look at a guy like a Mitch Trubinsky as a complete bust, but he certainly was an unfulfilling player, and I think Baker Mayfield is in that group. The Raiders, they are the worst team in the league in third down conversion rate going up against a very good defense. Now, I could give you my analysis of this game um, pre-COVID, right? I mean, with, with without the COVID problems, 
without the COVID issues, Cleveland and the under is the play here. Uh, when you start to get into COVID, you assume, I mean, you just absolutely assume that Baker Mayfield will, will not be in there, and you go more of an under. You assume some offensive players are going to be in there, more of an under. But you got to look at the defense and who's going to be missing for Cleveland's defense. This is a game that I fear. I'm sitting here in the middle of the week. Um, I fear that they may cancel. I mean, it might get to that point. They're doing virtual meetings. Baker Mayfield's out. I'm hearing as many as 18 Cleveland Brown players might be COVID-listed this week. So that's that's something to pay attention to. We can't speak intelligently about this game because of the nature of what's going on. We can speak intelligently about the best game of the weekend. And the best game of the weekend will be in primetime, but it's going to be Saturday night primetime in a weird, interesting twist. We get the Patriots and the Colts. And the Colts are the favorite. Yeah, over the streaking, red hot, everyone wants to talk about them, New England Patriots. The top seed in the AFC is an underdog here. And, uh, you know, you know that everyone's going to go jumping to New England. Everyone's going to be on top of them because all the things that I spoke about, it's a primetime game. This is the team everybody loves to talk about. Even though it's not a favorite, I do expect this line to switch. Look, the Colts opened up as a two-and-a-half-point favorite. It's down to one in some spots. This may get to a pick by game time. It might cross the zero. We are seeing a lot of money coming in on New England. New England is 7-0, and right? I mean, uh, over the last seven games. They are seven in a row with seven covers. They are making people a ton of money. And you start to look at who New England is. Belichick is 9-0 and against the Colts. He's perfect. Belichick, you know, is in a spot where Belichick's being Belichick this week. He turned around and told people that he would never want to be on hard knocks, basically, because he has advanced scouts watching in-season hard knocks, and he kind of slyly said it. Look, if Bill Belichick is giving you insight that, yeah, I got, I'm got, i getting things off of hard knocks, you already know he's prepared, man. He's, he's ready to go. Uh, Belichick's going to take away the best thing that you do. We say that all the time. And the best thing that this team does is run the football. They are 7-0 and when they rush the ball for more than 225 yards. 0-6 when they rush the ball for less than 125. Jonathan Taylor's been a beast. But if Belichick concentrates on just him, you just have to kind of figure out a way to not let them get to 125. And Belichick takes away the best thing you do. What I will say, though, about that is that the Colts are off of a bye week. The last time we watched the Colts face a team that they felt like they could not run against, face a team that it was going to be a tough day sledding with Jonathan Taylor, they decided, you know what? We're not going to attempt to go into that bubble. We're not going to attempt to keep lowering our head and driving it in. And they got creative. They let Carson Wentz throw the ball all over the field. Uh, they were doing pop-outs. They were doing all kinds of, of different situations, screenplays, and to get little passing plays. Slant patterns. We used to call them 99s when I played, right? A guy, the wide receiver at the line, he's lined up, right? He looks into the quarterback. They call Ike. He takes one step backwards. Boom. It was 98 to the left, 99 to the right. I mean, that was a 99. You're going to get that. It works as effectively as the run. So as much as Bill Belichick wants to take away this team, we just watched just watch them against Tampa Bay say, you know what? Okay, you don't want to let us run? We'll win in different ways. Now, they did not win that game. And that is a key here. But they played really, really close. They played a very good game. I think they would take that same kind of game plan with the same sort of on-the-field results, even though it didn't show up kind of on the scoreboard results. That might be the type of game that they go with. 
New England, look, they won the last eight meetings. Like I said, Belichick just absolutely owns them. Over the last seven games after a bye week, we always talk about the Andy Reid bye week, so I want to throw this out there. After a bye week, New England is 6-1 and one against the spread. Right? I mean, they're 6-1 and one against the spread. Now, Indy's coming off a bye week as well. They're 4-1-1. One and one, But you start to look at the Belichick factor, and no one gives him credit for against the spread after a bye week, and we have to look at that. This might come down to the Colts' red zone conversion rate. The Colts are 21st in red zone conversion rate in the league. The Patriots' defense is second. So when you get in there, what's happening is you're driving down the field, you're getting inside, and you're having to settle for three. You know, three can win games. I don't know if three wins games against Belichick. This is a tough situation. I lean the Colts here. I really do. I lean the Colts because of what they just did against Tampa Bay. They just designed a game plan, whether I agreed with it or not, and I know a lot of reporters did not agree with it, whether they agree with it or not, they hung in there with Tampa Bay right until the end with a game plan of, okay, you want to take away Jonathan Taylor? No problem. We got a game plan for you. And they went through that, and they lived through that, and they lived through a game plan. It wasn't like the Titans with Derrick Henry when when you lose him, you just don't know what to do. No, New Indianapolis said, all right, well, we still have a healthy Jonathan Taylor, but you want to take him away? No problem. Watch what we do. Now, New England's going to go in here. They're going to try to take away Jonathan Taylor. They have to turn around Indianapolis and say, okay, no problem. Watch what we do. And we need to see a lot of what we saw in that Tampa Bay game. The Patriots are a very good team. The Patriots may be a Super Bowl team. But I do take one thing away from that game up in Buffalo. Winding conditions, of course. But they didn't trust Mac Jones to throw the ball. And I do believe that this Indianapolis defense is pretty good. Would I be shocked if either one of these teams won? Absolutely not. I think it's a three-point game all the way through. I will not be betting this game. This is one of those Saturday night games, sit back, have a couple of beers, and just kind of relax because I do think it's going to be a battle. I do think it's going to be a separator. I will say this. We're in a weird position now because Buffalo has completely fallen off the map. We're in a weird position where this game means more. I I, I mean, a lot more to the Indianapolis Colts. This game means a lot more to the home Indianapolis Colts than it does to New England. So that is a factor as well. I don't fully trust Carson Wentz. But I don't fully trust Mac Jones. I like him, but I don't fully trust him. And I don't think his team fully trusts him either because they have to scale it back. He's still a rookie. This is still a tough spot. It's still a primetime game. It's still on the road, and it's still on the road against a good defense. I give a slight edge to Indianapolis. I think it's going to be a classic game. Last week, I told you guys, you know, a couple of classic games. I thought that San Francisco-Cincinnati was going to go right down to the wire, and I actually called for overtime on my Wanna Bet show on uh, Sports Map Radio. I said, I'm going to say overtime game. I'm going to put my odds, my money on the odds on an overtime game in Cincinnati and San Francisco, and nailed it. This might be another one of those games. This might be another game you sit back and you go, you know what, give me a little OT. I'm not done on this Saturday night watching these two Titans go at it and these two powerhouses go at it. All right, let's move on to Sunday, the early games. Carolina, Buffalo. We're talking about Buffalo, so I want to get into them. Look, Buffalo has looked bad. Buffalo has fallen off the map. Everyone's down on Buffalo. Buffalo looks terrible. Josh Allen's overrated. McDermott can't win. All of that is coming down. Yet, the linesmaker said, well, we know the real Buffalo and opened them up as an 11-point favorite over Carolina. So while the narrative is that Buffalo's garbage, I think that the Lions makers see, well, that might be a little bit overblown. The Bills have lost four of their last six 
games. They do not look good. They didn't look good in the first half, but they did show a spark in the second half against Tampa Bay. They did show that their defense can frustrate teams even if you know Tom Brady just became Tom Brady. Their offense exploded in the second half, and Josh Allen kind of took advantage here. The Panthers, they have a minus eight turnover ratio. They cannot run the ball. Chuba Herbert, who I actually thought was going to have a good game last week, just looked like garbage. Cam Newton is not the guy, and during the game we learned that because they turned around and they benched Cam Newton, and they put in P.J. Walker, and they told us it was for packages. And no, no, no. It's because, uh, you know what? Cam Newton is ineffective. Don't give me this, well, you know what? It was a design package garbage. You know who doesn't have design packages to come out of the game? Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady. Yeah, they don't have Aaron Rodgers. They don't have packages to come out of the games. No. You know who does have packages to come out of the games? Guys that you're not sure are the real starting quarterback, and that's Cam Newton. So I wouldn't be surprised, especially against a Buffalo team, that absolutely 100% can shut this team down. Now, you can run on them a little bit, but Carolina cannot run. Um, I don't think that Chuba Hubbard is going to have a huge day. I don't think Cam Newton has a huge day. I wouldn't be surprised to see Cam Newton benched in this one. I think Buffalo is absolutely the play. I do have a little hesitation laying more than double digits against them, but not because it's the Buffalo Bills, not because they've lost four of their last six, not because they're struggling, not because you could run on this defense. No, because after the game, I watched Josh Allen stand at the podium with a boot on his leg. Now, he came out and said, oh, I'll be fine. You know, I finished the game, so it's fine. Yeah, I don't know if it's fine there, Josh. I'm not convinced that it's fine there, Josh. So I'm not laying double digits in the NFL in a game where the quarterback was seen with a boot on his leg, on on his ankle. I I don't care what you believe, uh, you know, how he'll be. I, I cannot go out there and do that. All right, let's keep it with the AFC East here. Jets, Miami. Miami's now up to an eight-and-a-half-point favorite. They are off of a bye week, and look, they have been playing increasingly well. The Dolphins have won five games in a row. Tua has been fantastic. Tua has a 100-plus passer rating with just one interception through his last three starts. Tua is starting to become that guy. Now, you want to get sit back and tell me injuries and problems. Uh, yes, I'm listening to it all. But two is becoming that guy. We knew he was massively talented. He's coming off of a big injury. Now he has some weapons in Waddle and uh, Gazeki. 100-plus passer rating with one interception through his last three starts. That's fantastic. The Jets, meanwhile, they've allowed 30-plus points in each of the last two losses, so they're giving up big-time defensive plays. The Jets haven't won in Miami since 2015. The Jets are 7-18-1 against the spread in the last 26 games within the division. I could just keep giving you bad stuff about the Jets. Or we could flip back to Miami, where they are 4-0 against the spread the last four home games. They play well at home. They're also 6-0 against the spread the last six games following a bye week. They play well off of a bye week. But the biggest key to this game for me is the relationship between Belichick and Flores. Because Zach Wilson looked totally, completely, and utterly like he was seeing ghosts, like a deer in headlights against this defense that Bill Belichick put out there. Now he has to go against a very similar defense in Brian Flores. I think that that is the difference here. The Miami Dolphins have absolutely crushed teams here for the last month or so. They're allowing about 11 points per game. I cannot, look, I cannot expect that Zach Wilson will get anything done offensively. He's missing his big offensive lineman. Um, He's missing his big uh, downfield threat. 
Defensively, the Jets are just a mess. I think Miami streaks in the right direction. I cannot sit back and find any way to sit back and tell you guys to take the Jets, even with the 8.5 points. Now, I don't feel comfortable laying that kind of points with Miami just because it's Miami. It's a division game. But I'm looking at Miami. I'm saying, I, I mean, this is a, a you should surely win and almost a must-win game. All right, let's talk Cardinals, Lions. It's a two-touchdown advantage on the road for the Cardinals. The Lions, look, they got their first win, then they go on the road. Look, you're going to have that emotional letdown that we did speak about the Cardinals. Cardinals were flying high, but they were seemingly like a little bit of a mirage. And I had Ed Smith, the ex-Cardinal, on on Want to Bet on the weekend edition um, that we have there. And we talked about it, and I said, you know, Ed, he said, look, this is a respect game for the Cardinals. they got to win this game to kind of earn people's respect. I completely agree with it. Um, they had to win this game, and they didn't. They came out against the Rams, and even though it was a close score, they, they got beaten. I mean, they really did. Now they're off of a short week, traveling on the road, giving up two touchdowns. It's not a great spot. Detroit is all banged up. They are 1-5 at home, but three of those losses came by eight points or less. You have to know the condition and the health of Hawkerson and Swift before you go anywhere near this. If Hawkerson and Swift play, I'll be all over the Lions plus the 14. At home, I think they play better. At home, they have a little bit more motivation. They they are off that emotional high, back to being the Lions of the Lions. And Arizona, while everyone goes, yeah, you know what? They want the win. They want to go in here and kind of spank them and, and knock them around. Yeah, they want that. I just don't know if they're going to accomplish that. And it is a lot to ask to do it on the road against that kind of opponent after what you just went through on Monday night. All right, let's talk Cowboys-Giants. I mentioned this a little bit earlier. Cowboys are 11-point favorites. Look, Cowboys have won nine of the last 10 meetings. This is no longer a rivalry. The Cowboys own the Giants. Dallas is 6-1 and against the spread. Their last seven road games, they travel well. They got Micah Parson, and it's Micah's team at this point. Dallas is also 29-0 when they rush more than they throw. That's the problem because they are not rushing the ball well. Pollard looks like he's out for the year. Ezekiel Elliott cannot get things going. He just looks like a shell of himself. And Dallas is tied for the worst team in the league on third down conversion. Somehow, way, Dak Prescott is becoming an issue on this team. He's becoming the problem on this team. I think he could correct a lot of that against this Giants defense that I have no confidence in. I have no faith in this Giants defense. Offensively, they are all banged up. Tony's banged up. Galladay's banged up. They're playing with a backup quarterback. Barkley might have sparks here or there, but that's all you're going to see is little glimpses with him. All right, what about the NFC East? Washington, Philly. Washington catching four points at Philly. This is a matchup of what do you do well against what do you not do well, and and both of these quarterbacks are also banged up, so this should be interesting. Now, Taylor Heineke has a knee problem, but he's expected to play. Jalen Hurts should be under center. He's got an ankle problem. Both expected to play, but neither one of them are going to be in a tip-top 100% shape. Philly coming off of a bye week. Here's the thing. Washington can be beat by going to the air. Washington is allowing 260 yards passing per game, which is third worst in the NFL. You can throw on Washington all day long. Running on them is a different problem. The Eagles, well, they have the third fewest passing yards in the NFL. So you have the third worst defense passing in the uh, in the NFL against the worst offense passing, the third worst offensive passing. Eagles are going to have to throw the ball here. And I don't know if you can lay four points with the Eagles throwing the ball, If they design it for that, they're not finding success with that. The Eagles, they've also been bad at home this year. They're 1-4. And they're bad against the division at 0-2. The one thing to watch on this game, you know, I know you're leaning Washington because of all that I just said, but the one thing to watch, Washington had nine players listed on the COVID list earlier this week. Tennessee, Pittsburgh, 
This is a good game. Pittsburgh's getting about two points at home. The Titans, look, they have the second-ranked run defense, so it's going to be Najee Harris going into that line, really kind of button heads with, with the interior of that line, and you know that Pittsburgh has to get that running offense working if they have a chance here, but they are at home. Tomlin has won the last three against the Titans, which does mean something, and Ryan Tannehill just looks bad. Look, he failed to throw a touchdown um, and has more interceptions then he has touchdowns since Derrick Henry was placed on the IR. Since Derrick Henry went down, which seems like months ago, right? Uh, Ryan Daniel has four passing touchdowns. A.J. Brown's injured. Julio Jones isn't 100% back. They're still missing Derrick Henry. This is now a team that's going to have to go up against T.J. Watt and company. Watt leads the NFL with 16 sacks. The Titans, they haven't scored more than two touchdowns in a game since week nine. Defensive battle. This should be a, a battle where you see Pittsburgh really elevate themselves and really step up. Defensively, they have to have a huge game. They have to have a huge game. All right, guys, the toilet bowl of the week. And Houston Texans, Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, Jags are slight favorites. And, uh, you know, this is basically to determine the number one pick in the uh, next year's draft, right? Who's going to be the number one pick in the next year's draft? Houston did win the first meeting back in week one, but what does that really mean? And Davis Mills actually was able to throw for 331 against Seattle last week. He had a couple of good drives and then just was throwing for the rest of the game. Um, Davis Mills looked like he was going to be the problem. Davis Mills looked pretty good last week. Uh, you look at Jacksonville, you just don't know what's going on there. Urban Meyer is a disaster. Urban Meyer needs to be fired. Marvin Jones uh, basically is having a problem with him. James Robinson's having a problem with him. Uh, the, the future of your team in Trevor Lawrence is having a problem with him. Everybody seemingly having a problem with, with, with him. It went so far where he kind of laughed it off. He's, you know, left off the controversy. His assistant coaches, he basically said, you know what, you guys are losers. I'm a winner. Um, it was a mess. And then after the game, he even went to midfield, and one of his past assistant coaches didn't even really shake hands with him. The guy's just a, he's just a miserable person. He really is. He's just a, a miserable guy. And you start to look at the future of this Jacksonville Jaguars team, and the future of this team is Trevor Lawrence. If Trevor Lawrence has a problem with you, and he hasn't outwardly said it, but you hear him defending James Robinson, defending Marvin Jones, then, then you have a problem. Um, the owner, Khan, has to understand that the future of this team lies with Trevor Lawrence and not with Urban Meyer. And he's got to side with him. Urban Meyer cannot come back. As far as this game, don't bet on it. Don't go near it. I mean, Jacksonville is at home, but you just don't know what's going on beyond those world, inside those <laughs> those walls. You have no idea. Trevor Lawrence looked terrible last year, uh, last week. He was awful. Um, was that because Urban Meyer's not going to be there next year and he kind of mailed it in? I tend to think so. I think that all parties know that Urban Meyer will not be back, even though they're saying differently. And there's going to be a new future for this team. With that said, let's go. Back to the future. We're sending you back to the future. Okay, all right. Bet, bet to, the, to future. the future. Let's go bet to the future. And I want to talk about what we are going to start talking about in the future. And I know these are mostly NFL shows, but we're going to start talking about the NBA more as the year goes on. But an interesting thing happened this week in the sports books in the NBA that I want to talk about in Bet to the Future. And that is over at the Superbook Sports. The Warriors and the Nets are now co-favorites to win the NBA title. They are both sitting at plus 350. Now, the Nets remain the favorites in most books around the country, but at least one book has now moved the Warriors into a tie. That is bet to the future. That is, uh, we will start getting into the NBA. We will. But it is still the NFL push here. We're still getting into the NFL Action, and let's uh, talk about the late games on Sunday. Cincinnati, Denver, 
Look, Cincinnati is 4-2 and two on the road this season. Um, the Bengals have also a top-five rushing defense, and that is the key here. No one's talking about Cincinnati's defense. They stop the run. I like Gordon. I really do like Williams, but this team in Denver must rely upon the run, and right now, this is going to be tough. The Bengals are surrendering just 93 rushing yards per game. That's fourth best in the NFL, right? The Broncos, they are just 2-5 and five when they rush for less than 120 yards. So you can see where this is going. The Broncos have to have good rushing to win. The Bengals are one of the best rushing defenses in the league. Now, you could talk about Burrow and Chase and, uh, you know, the Higgins combination. Who Higgins looks fantastic. He's got 300-yard games in a row here. Um you can talk about Joe Mixon all you want, but I think that this game will be won and lost by the very talented Denver offense against this very talented Cincinnati Bengals up front attack. Do they trust Teddy Bridgewater to move the ball downfield? Do they trust him to throw the ball? That is going to be the difference maker here. All right. And, and by the way, you know, that's a game where I think it has a lot more impact than people realize because if Denver loses, I think they're kind of out of the playoffs and you can look at Cincinnati with a win they might win that division. So it's a pretty massive game. Atlanta-San Francisco, well, this is a massive game too because I think that the loser is out of the playoffs. Both are sort of hanging around here. The Niners, they've won four of the last five games. They're back in this thing. Eli Mitchell looks like he's going to return. Dabo Sweeney, uh, (laughs) Dabo Sweeney, that Clemson guy. Uh, (laughs) Debo Samuel came back. He looks really good. But the 49ers, you know, look, what they're doing right now with Jimmy Garoppolo, who I've highlighted, you can't cover them one-on-one in the passing game. Debo is fantastic. George Kittle adds that element. They're matchup nightmares, matchup problems. And Atlanta, look, they, they just match up horribly defensively with this team. But you start to talk about Atlanta. Atlanta is 5-2 and two on the road this year. And the Niners' run defense can be exploited. The Niners will have problems against Cordell Patterson. They will have problems even against a Mike Davis. The 49ers pass rush, look, they're going to get to to Matt Ryan. I think we know that, right? And the Niners can be exposed at certain levels on their defense. So this is a Niners minus eight kind of situation that I'm going. It may be a little inflated. I can't take the Falcons, right? But it might be a little inflated. Jimmy Garoppolo is playing absolutely perfect football. And George Kittle right now looks like he's retaken the throne or taken over the throne. George Kittle is the best tight end in the league. I mean, he's unstoppable where he is right now. Debo adds that added element. If Elijah Mitchell comes back, this San Francisco offense is explosive, and I think they have a field day against Atlanta. But I do think Atlanta has what it takes to slow the game down a little bit and really frustrate the Niners, frustrate their passing attack. Matt Ryan is not what he once was, but he can see mismatched problems, and there might be some. All right, Seattle, Rams. Everybody loves the Rams again. Here we go. Everybody loves the Rams, but everybody likes Seattle also because Russell Wilson is fixed. All of a sudden, he's fine. Why? They beat the Houston Texans, so everything's fine. But they also beat San Fran that we just talked about during that stretch. So, you know, what do you really believe in Seattle? The Rams, look, it's a short week for them. We know that. And the Seattle offense looks like it's back. They had Metcalf. They got Lockett. They finally look like they're back. 30-plus points the last two weeks for Russell Wilson. And maybe they found something in Rashad Penny. Penny was a top draft pick. He was a, a highly recruited guy, a guy that I watched and really liked in college. And really, you know, the coaching staff didn't really get behind him. And then he had injuries, and it was a problem. 
if they are able to get that running attack, because I mentioned three weeks ago when, uh, when I mean, Seattle just, uh, it was terrible display. They, they couldn't run the ball. 16 yards was the, the leading rusher. This could be that dangerous Seattle team. Now, LA has won four of the last five against them. The Rams, they they beat them in the first meeting, but they beat a banged up Seattle team that wasn't playing well, and they beat them 26-17 in that game. Now they're laying a touchdown. They are at home, but they are off a pretty emotional win against the Cardinals where everything looked right. I think Stafford has a big game here, but I think Russell Wilson can have a big game as well. Packers, Ravens in what should have been the best game of the day. Um, in Baltimore, Green Bay's laying nearly a touchdown. Lamar Jackson, status unknown. Aaron Rodgers, status unknown. They're both probably going to play. They both rely upon their mobility. Even though Jackson's a runner and Rodgers is a scrambler, they both will be limited mobility-wise. The Packers, they're 4-3 and three on the road this season, but all of those victories, they come by less than a touchdown. So they play tight on the road. The Ravens, over the past five games, their offense just stinks. 17 points per game over the last five games. They can't get their offense going. You think that an injured quarterback is going to help that or it's going to hinder that, right? The Packers' offense is averaging 37 points per game in the last three weeks. They exploded, so no toe, cut it off. Who cares what happens to Rodgers because he's playing like this. Lamar Jackson, in an interesting scenario here, has never lost to an NFC team. He's 12-0 in his career. Now, there are stats that I tell you that I tell you that some of them are arbitrary stats and they don't mean anything. And then there's stats that, like this. I don't think it's an arbitrary stat. To me, it's Jackson is a weird guy. People call him a cheat code and whatnot. It's a weird offense. It's a, it's a unique style. And I liken it when teams try to gear up and get prepared for Army, for Navy, for Air Force in the college ranks. Those triple option attacks, those running styles where six guys are carrying the ball. Lamar Jackson's is that to me. Where Cleveland, Cincinnati's, Pittsburgh's of the world, they see him twice a year. They see him for two or three years. All right, no problem. I'm able to game plan for him. I know what he's going to kind of do. We can at least slow him down and have some some kind of success. An NFC team that just flat out doesn't see him, well, they're taken a little bit surprised by what Lamar does. You always hear, wow, I never realized he was so shifty. Oh, I didn't realize how big he was, how solid he was. Yeah. So that is a stat that I'm paying attention to. The, the other side of this is that the Ravens, they love to blitz. Okay, they know they love to blitz. This is their best matchups or when they're coming after. But they cannot do that against Aaron Rodgers. They can't do that against Aaron Rodgers because they're missing both of their starting cornerbacks after Humphrey went down last week and Peters was out. You can't do that against Aaron Rodgers because he loves one-on-one matchups. The Ravens have to change their defense here. So I give the edge to Green Bay, although I see their recent history of going on the road. It's not blowouts. All right, Saints, Bucks. Bucks are 11-point favorite, and this is a weird line when you start getting into it. Like, Hill and Kamara, they were awesome. They had almost 200 rushing yards last week, and this is just going to be that rushing attack. I mean, that, they're going to come after it, but nobody could run on Tampa Bay. We talked about what Indy did. Brady, though, 0-3 in the regular season against the Saints since coming to Tampa Bay, and he's 21-5 against everybody else. Brady has eight turnovers in those three games. New Orleans averages 36 points per game in those three games, and the a ridiculous aspect that Sean Payton owns Tom Brady is just kind of true here. I can't believe how tilted this is. And now you're going to lay double digits. And I know the Bucs are undefeated at home. 5-0 and against the spread as well. Um, but this is a different kind of team. I worry about laying the points in this spot a million percent. I think this is Saints or nothing. Take the points all day. But here's the problem. Saints can't throw the ball. Hill 
and Kamara are going to run, 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 and run. And we watched the best running back in the league and Jonathan Taylor say, you know what? We're not even going to attempt to run against the Bucs because they're that good against the run. So it is strength against strength, but the strength of the Bucs has put fear in other coaches and put fear in other teams that the Saints are going to have to be, you know, a little bit creative to try to get away with. All right, let's go to the Monday Night Football game. Minnesota and the Bears, we know about the Vikings, and they're hanging on, and they're hanging on, and they should be better than they are. They're going to give four points to the Bears here. Chicago looked good last week. Remember, a lot of punt returns, a lot of kick returns, a lot of special team stuff went on there. But Justin Fields showed uh, sparks, and he looked you know, like a guy that could frustrate teams for years to come. We are also aware of the narrative of Kirk Cousins what he does in primetime. Kirk Cousins is bad in primetime. We know that. But Kirk Cousins is also bad against the Bears. He's 1-5 as a starter since he's come to Minnesota against Chicago. Chicago has his number. And four of those games, you know, they've been real tight. These two teams play within a touchdown all the time. Now, the Bears' offense with Justin Fields, it looks good. The last three games, they I mean, look, they've averaged 28 points per game. But again, I tell you, a lot of that is special teams. Vikings' offense has averaged 30 points per game. Neither one of these teams can stop the run. Dalvin Cook could have a huge game. David Montgomery could have a huge game. I expect Justin Fields to be able to run. Minnesota's defense is all banged up. They lost Griffin. They lost Hunter. Kendricks has been banged up. Barr has been banged up. The Bears are out. Khalil Mack. Jackson's been banged up. Hicks has been banged up. Brokon Smith has been banged up, and he left the game last week. So this is a weird game that you're going to have to kind of read the injury report uh, when all is said and done to kind of figure out what do you want to go with when you're taking a look at at this game, you're going to have to see how bad are the defenses banged up. Because if they are as banged up as I think that they could be, look, we could be looking at a position where uh, that over, which is only sitting at 43, might be the play. Real quick before I go, I just want to tell you that half of the NFL teams have six or seven wins. This is a weird year, guys. And I want everyone to kind of just understand what we're talking about when when we talk about uh, the idea. Look, this is a spot in the season where a lot of sports bettors kind of just throw it away, right? Okay, you know what? I've had a bad year. Kind of just cut your losses. You don't have to. I would say just be more careful, relax, but there's a lot of the year left. There is still a quarter of the season left. Then there's the playoffs. I mean, I don't want to say the halfway point, but it's kind of like the halfway point. There's a lot of football left. So be calm. There's still a lot more time to make money. If you haven't yet, if you have made money, maybe – you know what? Pull back your bets a little bit and just be cautious. The next couple of weeks, I expect the public to start getting hammered again. I don't expect us to, to come out and have a huge, you know, kind of all of a sudden, the uh, the public is going to start winning week to week to week. So I expect a lot of regression, meaning probably a lot of unders are coming, especially with the bad weather. Probably a lot of underdogs are coming, especially with the public going on the favorites. All right, guys, that's going to do it for me. I'm Tom Barton for Wagering Week. We'll be back, and you can bet on that. This has been a presentation of the Sports Garden Network. To be part of the show, call 1-855-4-GARTEN. That's 1-855-442-7386. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Garden. That's G-A-R-T-E-N. Get all your credible sports intelligence 24 hours a day by visiting us at sportsgarden.com.